Hello, friends. We are back of episode 140 of the Our Weekly Hollies podcast. This is the weekly show where we give you all the latest happenings across the art community as documented in this week's Our Weekly Issue. My name is Eric Nance, and as always, I am delighted that you joined us today from wherever you are around the world. And I am joined by my co-host, Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well, Eric. A little under the weather, so I apologize if uh, if the audio on my end comes comes through a little fuzzier than normal, but we're powering through here. Powering through, and um, you and I are still in our old habits of hacking at shiny apps late at night, but <laughs> all for a good cause, of course. But in any event, hope you feel better soon, but hopefully this will be a good uh, pick-me-up for your day. It's always a good pick-me-up for myself when we get to talk about our weekly and this week's issue is curated by John Calder, another one of our longtime OG contributors and curators for Our Weekly. And as always, he had tremendous help from our fellow Our Weekly team members and contributors like all of you around the world. And as we all know, especially if you've been involved with the art community for some time, you know how diverse it is from both, you know, a human perspective, but also a geographic perspective. We have contributors across the R ecosystem, data scientists leveraging it from all around the world, much like we have in our listenership of this very podcast. Well, if you are writing a package and you're thinking about making it, you know, friendly to your international audience, what are some great ways to get started? Well, our first highlight is going to give you a great primer on doing such just that with Ma'al Salmon's latest blog post as she is preparing for a actual talk at the Spanish Art Conference in November. And as preparation for that, she's also taken the time to document her use of a great package to kind of get you up and running in a somewhat dev tools-like fashion to get translations into your art package fairly seamlessly. And in this blog post, she walks us through leveraging the PO Tools package or PO tools, you know, take your take your pronunciation the way you want. And you may wonder, well, first of all, what are these kind of files that this package is going to help with? Well, to give you a bit of background, for actually from the longest history of Unix itself, to offer translations of various like utilities that Unix offers, there's always been support for what's called the portable object file or .po um, as the extension. And also there are some other variants of this .pot and .mo as well. And we'll have links in the show notes for where you can get a kind of nice deep dive into the mechanics behind these files. But for today, just assume that these are kind of helpers to translate from the primary language that utility is being written as into the additional languages. So sure, you could handcraft those files yourself, but this is our after all, and sure enough, the community comes through once again, where, as I mentioned, there is a PO Tools package authored by Michael Chirico, which has been deemed by Mael as the R-Oxygen 2 of these translation files. And so the rest of the blog post is really a nice kind of case study into the practicalities of using this package where Ma'al leads off of creating a very simple package to give the user a friendly greeting with the CLI package and then figuring out what their username actually is dynamically via the Who Am I package, which actually has been one of my underrated MVPs of my shiny apps of the past few years of trying to figure out on a given Unix system or Linux system just who actually is logged into my app. That's been a fun, fun a little utility for me. But this package is very basic, just has one function that Mael documents here called speak. And then it gives a little alert or a command line alert, if you will, for that greeting. Well, that's great. But how do we go about translating that? And that's where you have a few steps to complete in the PO tools workflow. The first of which is declaring the use of that in your description file of the package. And she's got the exact snippet for it right there. And then you have to create an internal function and you could call this whatever you like, but she calls it TR underscore where it is a wrapper around a couple different functions such as encoding to UTF-8, although I haven't used that specifically myself, and then another function get text to actually grab 
the, the text that's being used or being outputted by that particular function. And then she imports that function and uses that inside her little CLI alert um, utility function, where instead of just printing the string of hello and then the name of the user, she puts that into a call to this tr underscore function. So really that is marking that particular hello function as translatable in the context of the package itself. So now you've, you've declared that to be translatable. Now you have to actually get the translation files up and running. And PO Tools has a few wrappers to get you up to speed with that, such as establishing the boilerplate for the POT package file. And then to get you up and running, there is a PO underscore create function where you feed in the two-letter abbreviation for the language that you want to start your translation file with. And then it will fill in a bunch of the boilerplate for you, where then it's just your job to augment that with the actual translation of, say, the particular message that your package function is outputting. And in this case, she just puts the French word for hello, which salute, I'm going to guess, but don't. I'm not a French speaker, folks. Don't, don't, don't hold your feedback for future episodes. <laughs> In any event, um, it's pretty easy to get that, get that into this boilerplate function. But then that's not enough. There is one additional step. You actually have to compile this translation function. And there is, again, PO Tools is giving you a wrapper for this, PO underscore compile. So we know this ain't C++, right? But hey, you still need to compile it in some way, shape, or form. So that's what that functions doing and then you can try it out in a kind of like a low cost way using another underrated gem that I like to use quite a bit the with our with our package however you want to pronounce that where you could temporarily run your package in the context of a different locale or location so she can quickly see if she runs it in the French locale with the with our with language function then she can verify that that little greeting is, in fact, giving the French version of that greeting. That is a really neat way to test that interactively very quickly. So, of course, you can rinse and repeat, so to speak, by adding additional languages to your translation files, but the workflow is exactly the same. You're going to add, say, maybe Spanish or other, other languages, but you bootstrap that boilerplate translation file, fill in it as appropriate, recompile it and then try it out again so there are a lot lots of ways you can take this but this is a really really helpful package to get you up and running with translations so that you can make sure your package has a great user experience across the entire world of the R community as usual mal does a terrific job of her her prose alongside the code blocks itself so you can follow along right along with this blog post and certainly hopefully I get the chance in the future to make a, another package on CRAN or wherever have you but for translations I'm going to be turning to PO tools to help with that adventure down the road. Well this is really cool and the the, the PO tools package is, is one that I had not run into yet admittedly and, and I guess from the perspective of right it increased accessibility to the code that you write or in the things that you publish uh, in, in R, whether it be R packages or just code or both, it's important to try to make that as accessible as possible to as wide of an audience as possible. And I guess instead of you know having to uh, translate these things ourselves, it's amazing to know that we actually have tools like PO Tools to assist and make that process way, way easier. So it looks like in addition to just installing uh, the, the Po Tools package, you'll also need to install something called GetText, which is the, the GNU command line toolkit that powers uh, PO Tools. And there's some instructions uh, right in the package down site for, for Po Tools that, that Michael Chirico, the author of Po Tools, provides on how to install that uh, command line toolkit, whether you're on Windows, Mac, or Linux, but it, it all seems pretty easy if you're a Windows user like, like me, um, that this get text utility is already bundled with R tools. So if you're you're an R developer who's ever developed a package before and, and needed R tools, uh, you, you probably already have everything 
everything that you need. And if you're on Mac and Linux, it's, it's pretty uh, easy to install as well if it's not already installed on your machine. You know, a, a couple highlights here, as you pointed out, Eric, um, it, it's pretty cool that Mael sort of leverages the Tools package to create her own package, which I think is mostly for the purposes of uh, the presentation that she's giving, but but she has created a, a package called Package, P-O-C-K-A-G-E, which uh, she links to on GitHub that really just demonstrates the functionality of the Tools package and and like you said another package that just continues to blow me away and really demonstrates the utility of, of po tools is is the with our package that just allows you to execute your code from different seemingly different environments right so you can change the the locale with that with language func- function from with our and she can quickly test that uh, her, her package functions are outputting different outputs depending on what locale um, she's, you know, quote unquote in using those with our utilities, whether that be uh, French locale, whether that be uh, Spanish locale, English locale. Um, it's, it's really incredible that we have the ability to just kind of go back and forth between the two without having to like, you know, totally have different R installations on our machine. So it's pretty incredible. I, I would definitely point folks to uh, the package down site for for po tools it's it's really thorough and fantastic uh, it looks like you know Michael Chirico is the maintainer and the author of the package Hadley Wickham is also mentioned as an author of this package and when I went into the github I saw uh, Mael has has a bunch of commits recently as well so it looks like everybody's working hard on this package it's been around since about mid 2021 so it's it's fairly new but it has um, some some great vignettes uh, two in particular that I want to talk about. One is a, a vignette that talks about translation for package developers. So Eric, as you've talked about, if you're you're going to be publishing new packages on CRAN and you are interested in, in taking a look what at how Po Tools could potentially help you with translation within those packages, um, that vignette is probably for you. If you are a package translator, um, if you're more on the translator side as opposed to the developer side, there's a vignette called Translation for Package Translators. So it, it looks like Michael has put together everything that anyone could need, uh, depending on sort of what side of the fence you're on as you're trying to leverage Po Tools to improve uh, the, the translation and, and accessibility of the our packages that you're working on or working with. Yeah, it's very thorough documentation, as you said, and it's very nice that you don't have to bootstrap a lot of the boilerplate yourself now. This is going to give you that onboarding ramp very quickly um, to do a very, very helpful architecture enhancement to your package, again, to make it friendly to international audiences and we're also seeing increased perspectives on this in the context of not just packages, but a shiny app development as well. So certainly I'm going to be seeing what we can glean from this as I develop more open source applications that would reach a global audience. Maybe I can leverage PL tools and in some forms for that, since, you know, we tend to like making our apps as packages, wink, wink. <laughs> you see Absolutely. our workshop materials, you know where that's coming from. <laughs> I wonder if, um, you know, we've had a couple highlights on the past that discuss, you know, a topic that, again, admittedly, I'm, I'm not too privy on, but it's it's right to left languages. So oh, I haven't sure. seen anything um, within the package down, within my sort of cursory overview of the package down site and, and the vignettes that discuss right to left languages. But I, I guess I'd be curious um, it, to see how PO Tools handles those, um, if, if it does at all. Yeah, certainly. If, if you and the audience have had experience with that, yeah, let us know. We'd, we'd love to learn more about, about that journey as well. So, and, But we're very happy to see PO Tools. And again, Mael giving it much, some much-deserved publicity as she prepares for her talk in November as well. Well, Mike, it's not a um, podcast about data science tooling without at least some mention of the use of generative AI or large language models. But our next highlight is scratching, or I should say it is solving an issue that's been reported for and upvoted for quite some time in one of the 
you know, very popular integrated development environments that we use for R itself. What are we talking about here? Well, you've heard in previous highlights over the last year, year and a half of, you know, various tooling around the use of generative AI. And one of those has been GitHub Copilot, which has up to this point been a utility to let you fill in some, you know, some autocomplete yet autocomplete powered by these large language models in the use of various IDEs such as Visual Studio Code and others. Well, there's been an IDE that's been kind of waiting a little bit for this, but yeah, that is now complete. Yes, our studio itself now offers integration with GitHub Copilot. And our next highlight is a wonderful video webinar that was uh, broadcast last week, available on YouTube by Posit's Workbench Product Manager, Thomas Mock. And it is a very thorough and very practical introduction to a lot of the things that you would probably be asking about if you're new to, to this paradigm, such as Thomas breaks down just what exactly is generative AI in this context. And there's some great callbacks to other presentations or materials, such as from David Smith and others that have been talking about this. And best of all, Thomas walks through a very concrete example that's very timely about trying to build functions to help solve a word puzzle that's been populated, popularized by some recent publications out there. But there are a few things to keep in mind to make your experience of using GitHub Copilot, no matter if it's in our studio or elsewhere, um, fairly seamless. And he goes over a few kind of best practices along the way. Certainly, this is built upon the comments that you're putting into your code. The comment can kind of serve as your question of sorts, but context is quite important here. So the more you can give it a helping hand with maybe the problem you're trying to accomplish, maybe some of the data or some other resources you've already created, and then trying to then fill in that additional processing, whether it's a dplyr type pipeline or creating a new function, but with specific requirements, these comments are basically serving under the hood as these prompts into these large language models. So you want to use that, construct that very effectively without trying to make it do too much at once. Because under the hood, what you get back in this, what they call ghost text of the code that it suggests for you to use for your, say, function or deep or pipeline or what have you, there is a limit in terms of what's called the tokens that are returned back. So you don't want to ask a question that is so, you might say, long or, I hate to say, bloated, but you want to make it so they're pretty composable, very kind of straight to the point kind of questions and kind of build upon that to give yourself, you know, better success for getting that that right snippet that you think you can leverage right away. Now, of course, <laughs> I've been talking about this at the day job too. You do have to be careful as you look at these solutions to make sure it is indeed doing what you expected to do. Because there are times, whether it's co-pilot or other forms of generative AI, where you might get an answer that just looks fantastic, but it could look completely wrong. So you've got to be careful about the context that you're putting into, into these uh, comments that you're putting into your source code as it's trying to grep that a bit. So there are some additional best practices that are outlined here. And there may be cases where the co-pilot's not quite enough. It might need some additional context. And this was another little aha moment for me as I was watching this. Um, Posit has offered an additional package called Chatter, which is authored by Edgar Ruiz, which is kind of like a more general, you might say, um, chat GPT-like interface to either OpenAI's you know, API for the large language models or other models that you've actually installed on your host system, such as the Llama LOM models that you could get from online, which that might be more helpful when you need some additional context, say within your R environment, maybe some additional functions or scripts in your working directory. It's going to be a bit better for those situations than straight copilot. So it's great that Thomas shows both approaches in action and you can kind of pick and choose as you see fit. But another key message is, 
it, it does take some getting used to. So just go ahead and play with it. Really just see how far you can take it, but really start to get a, a feel for what it can offer and then, you know, leverage it with great responsibility. But I do think it is going to be a big help to many that are developing, say, a new package, a new Shiny app, new, you know, data processing pipeline. This is going to save a bunch of time in the majority of cases. I can speak to this personally, where I was um, for the upcoming R Pharma work, uh, virtual conference, which I'll touch on a little bit later. I'm working with another developer of a Shiny app, and we're going to do a fun little quiz app. And I'm being really geeky with the database that I'm using under the hood. And I was having the heck of a time trying to figure out how to get these images that are part of this quiz into the database as like these binary blobs so that I can then put them into the database, get them back out, and then serve them up in the app. Well, sure enough, a little generative AI magic got me along the way with one function I was missing to make that happen. So the nice part of all this is that now you can do this all within the confines of our studio. Once you have your account for GitHub Copilot and Another little caveat, this is not free. We're not in the beta anymore, so you do have to pay a little bit of a fee, but certainly it might be well worth it if you if it does save you a boatload of time. So this has been what Thomas has considered the most upvoted issue in our studio's GitHub tracker was to implement GitHub Copilot into our studio. And yes, it is now finally here. It is available in the latest preview release of the RStudio IDE and the Posit family of Posit Workbench, if you will. So certainly, yeah, I'm really excited to see where this goes. And now in my fancy schmancy container setup, when I hop behind or hop between VS Code and RStudio, I can use Copilot for both now. So that's pretty nifty. That is pretty cool, Eric. I, I do remember when Copilot first came out, I think mostly within in VS Code, it was it was a pretty incredible thing to see you know the fact that you can just write plain english comments and have have code generated and i think you know there were some early discussions around uh its usefulness when you're asking for python code versus r code and how how well it performed uh you know within those those two languages but look taking a look at tom's demo here uh, within this youtube video Copilot's pretty dang good at spitting out R code. Uh, I will give it that. You know, one place that he he showcases where it was a little weak was when he he tried to switch from sort of base R, you know, subsetting of a data frame and filtering to asking for you know tidyverse style non-standard evaluation with the the double embracing there with the curly braces, uh, asking for a particular column. And it struggled with that uh, initially, but once he, it, what was really interesting to me was once he actually removed some of the more base R code that was uh, uh, higher up in his script, and then re-asked Copilot to to do the same thing, you know, provide him with a more uh, tidyverse friendly, non-standard evaluation version of of this code that he was looking for to execute um, to to spit out it improve the code that it had originally written. So it looks like it was using some of that earlier context within his script, maybe sort of identifying that he had been writing more base R style R code and trying to tailor its its output based upon that. But once that was gone, um, it, it seemed to listen a little bit better to his, his question and, and forgot some of that earlier context. So I found that really interesting. You know, I, I think if you are somebody who's trying to get the most out of Copilot, and, and I think, you know, there's, there's all sorts of links that I see it within my LinkedIn feed or, or social media feeds that are like prompt engineering, right? It's it's how to write the, the best prompt for these large language models to, to get the most out of it. And there's a lot of tips and tricks that I, I think maybe are underappreciated or, or understated. And, and Tom does a great job of articulating some of these tips and tricks and really showcasing how thinking you know cleverly about what you're asking within your, your comment uh, to Copilot 
can really, you know, making sure that you're, you're thinking critically about that can really expedite the, the process of getting that code that you want it to spit out that's going to be the most helpful for you. And, you know, the other things that he highlights that you talked about, Eric, that, that chatter package is, is fantastic for being able to leverage uh, multiple different large language models um, from within your R session. You can point it towards the, you know, OpenAI's ChatGPT, which is fantastic. You can point it towards your own on-prem, you know, large language model that you have, maybe using Llama or, or, or something like that. Uh, if you are in an organization that that sort of is, is rolling your own, I would love to to roll our own, uh, you know, sort of Chat GPT that's pointed primarily at Shiny code. I think that would be that would be pretty incredible because I'm I'm interested to see how well it sounds like ChatGPT was able to solve a, a shiny use case for you Eric I, you know we've used it a couple different times and had had some mixed results depending on what what we're asking for um, so it'd be interesting to to train a large language model that that was really just primarily trained on uh, shiny code and and Gollum code right preferably <laughs> Yeah, of course, we're going to work that in. Yeah, I would say in the early days, it was very um, <laughs> not quite what I had in mind when I tried it out a couple of years ago. But I think, A, I was new to it and probably my prompts weren't quite good enough. And B, it just didn't have enough time to mature a bit. So I think it's matured quite a bit. And there definitely have been um, prototypes that we've been working on at the day job where we try to curate our own vector database as a content and then throwing a, a open ai in front of that or you know now that we can do chat r i'm definitely going to look at this too i could see lots of opportunities that more domain specific ways to leverage copilot and this and chatter in and of itself so i think it's a very promising endeavor again just probably because of the industry i'm in i do have to put the caveats you got to look at these solutions carefully before you put this into production you don't, like I said, they will look fantastic solutions, but they could be completely off base. So luckily here, I think in the purpose of Copilot, we don't have quite as much um, situations like that as we do with other, you know, more general queries or prompts to say chat GPT and the like. But this is still going to be a great helper to your developer toolbox. And now, like I said, you get to use it and arguably one of people's most favorites, IDE. So it's uh, great to be able to pivot back and forth. And I've also got a link in the show notes to the user guide, the official user guide on this feature from Posit. And there was some, some nuggets in there too, such as you could use this for additional languages, say in the same Quartal document. If you have like a SQL chunk or you have a Python chunk, it's going to be able to grab that context pretty appropriately in that given chunk and be able to give you the appropriate ghost text to use for solving that issue as well. So multi-language support is here as well. It's it's really cool to see. Absolutely. Yeah, super powerful tools. You know, the way that you go about configuring them because within your RStudio environment, because as you said, you know, nowadays these are, are paid tools, so you're going to need to go out and, and get an API key for these uh, is within the sort of global settings tools, same place that you would be putting your connection string or, or your keys for your RS Connect or your uh, ShinyApps.io environment. So that, that's where you would configure that and you should see that within probably the, the next upcoming release. Right now it's in the, the dev, right, release of our studio, but I imagine in a stable uh, future release very shortly we will we will see that in our global settings pane yeah and i can tell that they can tell you that the enterprises are really really looking forward to this so i'd imagine there it's a it's a mutually beneficial thing to get this rolled into production sooner or later No, I brought up that magic word, Mike. I brought up containers again, even as we were talking about that. And um, I dare say last week, a certain someone was listening to us after all, because guess who's back in the highlights once again? It is Bruno Rodriguez, who at this point probably doesn't need an introduction anymore. But we're actually going to have a fun little retrospective post from him this time around. Kind of reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from uh, Ferris Bueller. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you might miss it. So it's good to kind of take stock into what is happening 
in the world of reproducibility and data science in terms of our environments and our package setups. And that's exactly what Bruno does in his latest blog post, where it is his overview of what he's learned in the past years about how to tackle reproducibility in your R analysis projects. So this comes down to a couple fundamental approaches, which we'll get to shortly. But the good news is that there is some commonalities that no matter where you are in this spectrum, I think are very, very important in the context of reproducibility. And in fact, many of these principles are what I'm working on to document as we speak in our day job as we author tools for what we call multi-use. Some of these principles include things that Mike and I do routinely. Version control with Git, definitely a must. Unit tests, when you're able to test for those regressions so that future you doesn't get surprised and get uh, smacked in the proverbial face, so to speak, when you introduce that new feature and you broke something that was working before. Taking advantage of literate programming. This is obviously, we're talking about things like Quartal, R Markdown, and honestly, you could even say your package documentation with our auction. That's another form of that as well. And then, you know, when you have multiple functions, bundling them as R packages is one of the best ways to keep your code fairly self-contained, well-documented, and to be reusable across your own projects and, frankly, to the R community as a whole if you're able to open source that. And then take advantage of automation as much as you can. Obviously, we're here hearing lots of great uses of GitHub Actions in previous highlights, but there's many other ways to take advantage of automation in this space. So those principles, even if you just start with those right off the bat, you're off to a, a terrific start. Now, there is kind of two paths, so to speak, with how we can tackle reproducibility in a data science project and the tooling around it. The common approach that has taken a lot of great momentum in the past few years has been leveraging container technology, such as with Docker. But of course, Docker is not the only runtime in this world. There's also Podman and LXC and many others in this space. But the foundation is similar. You have what's called a container that's, that's uh, bundling up your operating system-specific dependencies such as, say, R itself or some of the other Linux utilities you might need for some of those packages that you're going to be running in your R session and any other various utilities, such as for my Shiny, or my Shiny containers. I often put in containers for like a headless Google Chrome browser um, and, and additional utilities as well. But that in itself is not quite it. Because you do want something to manage your package versions for your actual R project. And that's where you often augment Docker with a package management system such as RM. But there's many others in this space as well that we've covered in previous highlights. As this Groundhog and even just using a time snapshot of the Posit package manager that's open source. Those are all great, great solutions in this space. And in fact, going back to Golem for a second... I was experimenting as we were preparing for that workshop a, a month ago, Mike, on you know how to get an app as a container and using Golem to do just that. Well, their wrapper to the Docker Filer package actually will create a Docker file, but use RMV alongside with it automatically. So it is literally putting in practice what Bruno outlines in this post. So that's why there's a lot of great resources, a lot of positive momentum in this workflow. And certainly it has gotten me very, very far along in my reproducible analysis journey and frankly, my development environment journey as well. So I am still using this method to this very day. But there is another path here that he has, <laughs> Bruno has been very interested in and I've been very interested as well. And that is using Nix, the Nix package manager where unlike with containers, where you need that container runtime to kind of take that Linux image and then build upon that as layers, with Nix, it's not just a package manager in the traditional sense. It is its own language as well, where it kind of has tie-ins to what I call infrastructure as code. You're going to declare what utilities you need in your given project, but you can get extremely granular with this. The R version itself and mix and match different versions of various utilities, including our packages themselves. 
meaning that with Nix, you technically don't need to run something like install.packages or leverage RM with it. You can declare all of this in the Nix configuration for your given project, and then it will just grab the appropriate sources and install it in a sandboxed-like um, section of your computer. And then when you launch R from that particular area, you've got that reproducible environment ready to go. And this can be somewhat independent of the underlying host operating system. Because as we think about the Docker solution, there could be a case, albeit far along in the future, where maybe that container won't build on your upcoming upgrade to your host operating system. So that it can be an issue sometimes for reproducibility. Nix, however, won't necessarily care what that underlying host operating system is. As long as you can get the Nix package manager on there, you are good to go. And so Bruno has been you know, paying a lot of attention to this space. And in fact, he has co-authored a package called Rix to help from an R user perspective, get up and running with Nix pretty quickly, which has been the subject of highlights in the past. So definitely check out the back catalog for our discussions on that. Now, you, the, other, the other thing to consider is kind of the barrier of entry or the entry costs to these frameworks. With Docker, the Docker approach, the container approach, if you're familiar with Linux, it'll actually probably be an easier time to get up and running as of now because A, you've got a lot more resources available in the context of data science and reproducibility around container technology. That's just a fact that, and that probably won't change anytime soon. However, we are seeing with Bruno's help and Again, a lot of the Linux podcasts I listen to, they're on this Nix journey just as much as he is. We're starting to see Nix get more mindshare in the community. I think it's slow going. Nix has been around for over 20 years, but in this context, I still think it's fairly new. It is one of those things where you want to try it out for yourself in a low-cost way, just to get a feel for it, before you probably make that leap into taking this approach for reproducibility in your projects. But speaking of taking that jump, I teased this for many months now. I said after the workshop, I was going to start my next journey. And I have officially started my next journey. I have a virtual machine on my personal laptop that is running Nix OS with the Plasma desktop as a front end. And I am ready to start my R analysis reproducible project right on there, following all of Bruno's great blog posts and tutorials. And I will share my progress probably on my Mastodon account and maybe some other, you know, <laughs> segments here on this podcast or other adventures. But I am full bore with it. I can't wait to see how far I take it. I'm going to break a heck of a lot along the way, but that's sometimes the best way to learn, especially in this new journey. But I think this blog post is a great recap of where we've gone as a community in the context of reproducibility and where we will go in the future. You got two paths as of now, and they're both very valid, very powerful, but this will get you up and running or give you an overview. And then there are many, many links in Bruno's posts to his previous posts that cover each of these solutions. Heck, he's got an entire book around that first path, right? And now this second path, he's got a whole series of blog posts that have been probably more than half of them have featured in the episodes of this very podcast. So it's a great time to get into this space. And yes, I am now on the journey, buckled my seatbelts, and who knows how far along I'm going to get before I run off a cliff, so to speak, but I'm going to see how far I get. But good times nonetheless. Yes, well, Eric, you talked about two paths, I guess, between versus Docker or Nix. I think you forgot about the, the third path, which is where you just you just FedEx your laptop to the other person, right, that needs to run the same code. And you never install any updates uh, on that laptop. So that's that's the OG production. You know, that's, I think it's it's still an option, but uh, probably not quite as efficient. And you, you did a great job uh, of walking through Bruno's blog post here. You know, it, it's really the conclusion um, that, that really speaks to me. You know, he, he talks about, the trade-offs between learning Docker or Nix, and you know, admittedly, I think unfortunately, it's there's still a significant learning curve. 
um, sure. to learn either one of these these tools for anyone who's coming into the, this space newly. So you know that that's sort of the tough part. The tools are improving every day, right? Bruno has has authored an R package for making it easier um, to work with Nix. I know that there is at least one R package. Uh, I believe Colin Fair, the Think R team. Uh, th- think FR team have authored called Docker Filer, right. which I know allows you to maybe more easily create a Docker file using R. And there, you know, in my opinion, there is a ton of educational resources and content out there to help folks get up to speed with Docker, even though it is, it can be, you know, sort of a long road, right? And and everything's a long road in software development because there, there's always things that are that are changing. But I do feel for Bruno a little bit because he authored this amazing book called Reproducible Analytical Pipelines uh, with R. And uh, essentially, immediately after that book was published he discovered nix and has gotten really excited about it and and it sounds like he will be writing another book uh in 2024 focusing this time on nix instead um of the dockerized approach so uh, that's amazing bruno if you're, you're taking on that endeavor as well to be able to provide us with sort of this additional content around you know this other option here in terms of being able to use nix but i like you said i thought it was a great Great recap um, of his at least six-part series now at, at this point discussing uh, Nix and, and Docker and the differences and trade-offs between the two. So a great wrap-up to the highlights this week. Yeah, Bruno, I'm really curious to see that second edition get us off the ground. And by the way, if you need a reviewer, you know, intent, you know, like I said, I'm I'm really excited to start this journey. And boy. I can see I, the entry cost is important here. I, I don't want to under I don't want to undersell that because if you have too much friction when you adopt a new paradigm or a new technology, it is discouraging. I know that for a fact. So we we do want to make sure that those caveats are in place. You want to take the time to really try this out in a low stake way, or you know you know not a high stake situation right away. Like, I'll be candid. I can't use Nix in my day job. There's just too much going on for various infrastructure reasons. But there's nothing stopping me, like I said, playing this in my virtual machine. And literally, if I blow it up, just uh, nuke and pave, so to speak. This is the same approach I took with uh, my adventures with our submissions, which I might touch on a little bit here. With I had a virtual machine on Windows to replicate the R environment. I would blow it up quite a bit. Just just go ahead and, and restart from scratch and see whatever failures I encountered. But in, the, in that situation, that's where, you know, either of these approaches are going to be a lot easier for people down the road. Um, but no, that, that third method, Mike, you know, that was used quite a bit in my industry. We would actually ship hard drives to the regulators of the various programs and data that we use in that submission. So there sometimes low tech might often be the best but you know what we're in 2023 i'm in the high tech space here so yep next is going to be my journey although for now i'm still using the docker setup for my development containers but again now that i've got hopefully a little time to investigate i want to see just how far i can take the two approaches and the important thing for me i don't know if it's important for other people is that I have a very um, hectic life these days where I'm not always at the same computer to develop my R projects or open source work. I hop between my laptop, my machine I'm using right now to record this very podcast, and my work laptop. So I got to be able to have situations where that environment stuff is portable across all three, ideally, but at the minimum, my personal stuff at home. So I'll be very curious if I can achieve that same portability with Nix as I have with Docker for the most part in my in my uh, container setup. No, that's excellent, and I'm excited to see how your your Nix journey goes. You know, I think for anybody interested in getting started with Nix, these these articles that that Bruno has has published, which are all linked in his blog post uh, in our weekly this week, are, are probably one of the best places to get started. And then I would say for for folks interested in, in getting started uh, with with Docker and coming from the R 
community. I would say, Eric, some of your your videos on your your dev container environment. I believe that might be on the Shiny Dev series would sure be a good is. place yeah. to get started. As well as uh, I know, Rami Crispin has a I believe work in progress, but but quite well fleshed out at this point GitHub repository called VS Code dash R. Um, which talks about uh, using dev containers within VS Code when you are coming from sort of the R environment. So we can link to that repo in, in the uh, highlights as, as well. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to collaborating with Rami on some fun uh, container dev, dev container um, setting up shop, so to speak, with our various approaches. But I still remember snagging him for a few minutes at Posicomp and showing him our setup. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute. We're kind of doing the same stuff here. This is awesome. So I'm like, I feel smart. I'm <laughs> but uh, you know what else will make you smart? Um, looking at the rest of the R Weekly issue, there's a whole bunch of additional content in respect to new blog posts, new packages, updated packages, and awesome real-world use cases of R in, in, the, in the real world, so to speak. And we'll take a few minutes here to talk about some additional highlights. And yes, um, I'm going to lead off here with a journey that's been multiple years in the making, but it is official as of now. Way back, uh, almost a year and a half ago, um, we started a journey within this R Consortium submissions working group of submitting a Shiny app to the regulators, in this case the FDA, built completely with R so that they could run that on their system and prove out that this is a very viable technology for future real submissions. I'm happy to report that as shown on the latest R Consortium blog post, that our application was successfully reviewed and finalized by the FDA. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness, this has been, <laughs> what a journey this has been. But um, I had the great pleasure of thanking the reviewers in person at the conference I was just at about a week and a half ago. It was gratifying to be able to just literally thank them for all their work to review this novel use of Shiny in action. And we had a great, great discussion all around in the panel I was on. And this was a hot topic, to say the least. So the best part of all this, it's not just that we did it. We did it all in the open. Every single commit, every single discussion, every single issue is all there on the GitHub repos. The blog post has links to everything. And yes, this is an important milestone, but we're not stopping there, folks. The next pilot in respect to this space is, yes, looking at containers or WebAssembly for the Shiny app. So we've got, we've got future ideas, and we're going to push the envelope quite a bit here. But you have to start somewhere. And now, if anybody, whether it's at my day job or elsewhere in my industry, says, oh, oh, Shiny apps? Oh, you can't submit that, can you? Oh, yes, you can. Here's the proof. <laughs> that is awesome, Eric. Congratulations. Uh, what a great highlight as well, and what a great journey that has been and continues to be. So keep up the good work from, from all of us within the R community that are, are trying to prove out that it is a production-worthy language. So, so thank you to you and, and everyone else working on that effort. The additional highlight I wanted to call out was some updates uh, from Tidy Models, the, the quarter three 2023 Tidy Models Digest. And, and probably the two main highlights here are the Tidy Clust uh, package, which has some uh, algorithms for clustering, uh, unsupervised clustering. The, the release adds two new engines to the K-means uh, model, which is pretty cool if you are somebody who is interested in doing unsupervised learning work. And then the R sample package uh, now has some updates where previously it looks like it actually accepted some misspelled or wrongly used arguments and would try to handle those um, one example here is if you were doing stratified sampling and you misspelled the strata argument as stata, um, everything would go on like normal and that with no indication that that stata was 
ignored. So that can probably be fairly confusing to a second person who's reading that code. And I think that's the argument that the Tidyverse team is making. Um, if, if somebody is reviewing that code and, and wondering what this, this data argument here is in that code, as opposed to strata might give you a better ind- indication of what the argument represents. Um, they have some, some hard errors around that uh, now, as opposed to trying to handle all these these different potential misspellings and things like that. Um, so you might be interested in, in taking a look at that. But for, for me, as uh, at Catchbrook, we do a lot of predictive modeling work. Uh, we could not live without the Tidy Models ecosystem. So I'm always trying to stay on top of the latest and greatest there. Yeah. And you know, uh, Mike, another great way to keep on top of the latest and greatest is really learning from experts in this space. And I'm happy to plug this both in audio form, but we'll have links to this in the show notes as well. This upcoming Our Pharma Virtual Conference, we have the week before the actual conference are the workshops. And yes, we have the pleasure of welcoming a frequent contributor to Our Weekly itself. Nicola Rennie is leading a workshop on using Tidy Models. So I highly recommend checking that out if you want a primer on Tidy Models and you're interested in wanting to get started. She's going to do an amazing job. Um, She's been in this space quite a bit. So I have links in the show notes where you can register for that. It's going to be a fantastic workshop. So I highly recommend leveling up your Tidy Models knowledge with Nicola's workshop. That is a great call out. And I believe as a call back to our last highlight, I believe if I'm not mistaken, I saw somewhere on the agenda for our pharma that there's going to be a workshop on uh, using VS Code as an R user. So for folks who are interested in doing that and maybe myself who is still sort of making the jump on a project to project basis, whether I'm in our studio or VS Code, I I think uh, that might be a helpful workshop because there are so many little nuggets within VS Code that can make your quality of life uh, pretty awesome. Yes, so it's a fantastic lineup of workshops. But yes, as one of the organizers, I've gotten a preview of what's been coming and I saw that. And I was like, yeah, that's that's amazing stuff. There's a full spectrum um, that to, to choose from. So we'll have links to where you can register in the show notes if you're if you're interested in pursuing further. And yes, speaking of links, we got links to, of course, this full issue along with everything we talked about today and the little additional links that we've that we've discussed here. And of course, our weekly itself is a community project and the lights are on because of all of you out there with your pull requests to us on the latest blog post that you want to see highlighted, a new package maybe you've authored or you have a a colleague that's authored and you want to give it some much deserved attention. The best way to do that is to go to rweekly.org. There's a link to this coming issues draft right there at the top right corner and you can send us a little pull request. It is all marked down all the time. And speaking of markdown in terms of, you know, this um, this movement that I've been, you know, very fascinated by, Value for Value, I actually wrote a letter to one of my uh, favorite podcasts over in the Linux space, uh, Chris Fisher at Jupiter Broadcasting. But I didn't want to just write a letter, just a fancy, I should say unfancy little Word document. I used Quartal to do it, so it was marked down, of course. <laughs> so I had fun with that. That's actually on my GitHub if you want to find that further. Um, but any event, Markdown is powered is powering our weekly itself. But also, we love to hear from you in the community for this very podcast. If you have suggestions or feedback, we love to hear it. You can do that via the contact page that's linked directly in this episode's show notes, as well as sending us a friendly little boost if you're listening in those with those modern podcast apps like Podverse, Castomatic, Fountain, Podfans. They're all supporting this. And also, if you're not ready to switch your podcast player, hey, we, we don't judge. We, we just love you listening from wherever you are and whatever you're using. You can boost us directly on the podcast index page itself for this podcast. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. But if you want to get in touch with us personally, you can find me most frequently on Mastodon, where I'm at our podcast at podcastindex.social. And I also cross post each episode's announcement on the uh, x thing as well as linkedin as well if you want to follow us there as well and mike where can the listeners find you on mastodon at mike underscore thomas at fostodon.social and again want to thank uh bruno rodriguez for for listening last week and for the for the shout out on there 
Absolutely, Bruno. Yeah, we love we love to hear it. And all of you out there, yeah, we, we love hearing those shout outs. So please keep them coming. But that's going to do it for us for episode 140 of our Wii Highlights. We thank you so much for listening again from wherever you are around the world. And we'll be back with another edition of our Wii Highlights next week. <laughs>